Thank you all for coming. I, it's great because I have family in the audience, which helps, and friends. But um, I don't recognize a lot of you, which is a blessing because that means that you're here because you saw the title of the breakout. And you have probably either been through a wilderness in your life, you are currently going through a wilderness in, in your life, or you are being proactive and preparing possibly for one, because we will all go through something hard in our life. I can guarantee it. Um, so thank you for coming. And I just pray that anything that comes out of my mouth first honors the Lord, but also that it encourages you in some way. Um, so I'm 34 next month, and I feel like it's a milestone year for me because I have now been a Christian for 17 years. I've known the Lord for 17 years. I became a believer at age 17. And so if you do the math, the threshold, I have now almost been a believer longer than I haven't. And it's a big deal to me because for so many years of my life, I have lived by the excuse that, oh, I didn't grow up knowing that, so I don't, I don't understand that. Or I say to my husband, I can't sing that, that song with you that you sang at children's camp because I didn't go to camp growing up and it's kind of my cop out of not having to sing. Um, but I can't use those excuses anymore because now I have known the Lord for almost longer than I haven't and that was convicting to me this year. So starting this year um, in January, I decided I was going to read the Bible cover to cover. Um, a lot of people do it and I was going to do it chronologically. So timeline form, um, which you know the Bible's not written chronologically or put together chronologically. So um, I started with Genesis, jumped to Job, because next that's next in the timeline, then back to Exodus. Um, and I've read those three books of the Bible before. That wasn't unusual. The content wasn't new to me. But I found myself really being drawn to Moses this time around. And just that if you're unfamiliar with who Moses is, he was just a normal man, right? It says that he didn't have anything impressive about him. He felt like he was incompetent because of his speech. Um, we don't know if he stuttered. We don't know if he had a speech impediment. There was just something that he felt like he wasn't capable of being a leader. And yet God called him to lead an entire tribe into the promised land. God was calling him to do that, and he felt ill-equipped to do that. So God called Moses, and Moses led this people group out of Egypt, out of slavery, and there was an easier way, but God said, no, I'm going to have you go through the wilderness. Why did he have him do that? I just, that was something, that was a question I had as I was reading. But I found that God led the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, to show them his glory and to draw them closer to himself. And that was powerful for me because as I got to Deuteronomy, which Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, I'm not going to talk about Leviticus, that's a, a rough book to read, um, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. As I was reading Deuteronomy, um, it was just a really powerful book for me. I had never actually read it from start to finish. Um, and as I was reading, I just found so many quotes from it that I had heard before, and I realized that Jesus quoted the Old Testament book more than any, or quoted Deuteronomy more than any Old Testament book in the Bible. So clearly there's meat in there. And what drew me to this book is it's Moses' final commissioning to the Israelites. He has led them all the way to the foot of the promised land, and he's about to die. And because of a sin that he committed, he can't lead them into the promised land. 
but he is urging them and commissioning them out and urging them to remember God and what he has done and that he will be with them always. And what stood out to me most was there was a line in Deuteronomy 2.7 that says, these 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. And that just, it grabbed me because those 40 years in the wilderness, they might say, the Israelites would say, we lacked everything, right? Like by all earthly standards, we didn't have shelter. We lived in tents. We didn't have sufficient ample supply of food. We didn't have water sometimes. And yet God is saying, you lacked nothing. You had me and that's all that you needed. And so it just, that really grabbed me. Um, so I'm going to share a little bit of my testimony with you. I'm not going to share all of it. And I can give you that podcast that Rebecca talked about. If you want to hear the whole story, you can listen to me talk for an hour on there. Um, but I don't have that much time. So I'm going to give you a snippet of it. But um, it was the summer of 1999. I was nannying for family friends. I was almost 14, nannying for family friends in the Ozarks. So I was asked to go with this family to help watch their three little girls and um, agreed to do that. So we left on a Friday and on Sunday morning, I walked out of the condo, the bedroom where I was staying and I saw my dad sitting on the couch. And I took one look at his face and I knew. I said, mom's dead, isn't she? And he said, yeah, yeah, she is. And I kind of chewed on that for a minute. It was honestly not a shock to me. I had grown up with a mom who was an alcoholic and drug, or cocaine addict and um, alcoholic. And so that was something I had spent my entire life preparing for. I had grown up living with my mom and my stepfather, and my stepfather is an amazing man. But I had grown up under that influence, and so I knew it was a possibility. It wasn't a shock to me. But when I looked back at my dad's face, I saw that there was more. And it was at then, that moment when he said, Amanda and Samantha, that I knew. It hit me like a ton of bricks. My sisters, seven and four years old, they died too because of my mom. I was supposed to be with them that weekend and I had forgotten to tell my stepdad that I wouldn't be there. It was my job to be with my mom when they were there so that she couldn't do anything destructive because I was much older than them. And I'd forgotten to tell my stepdad that I wouldn't be there. I sank into the couch sobbing because I had the full weight of guilt on my shoulders that it was my job to protect them and I had failed. They were dead. We got in the car, headed back to Iowa City and um, got to the funeral home at one point. Um, I walked in the funeral home and saw the casket up at the front and I saw my two little sister's bodies in there. My mom's ashes were in a box, their feet, they were all buried together. And it's strange because I was not a believer at the time, but I, was, I remember distinctly walking into the funeral home and hearing a song being played. And I thought it was on the intercom but I realized it was running through my head. And this was a song, honestly, I, had, I don't think I had ever really heard or knew what the, the title was, but it, the same phrase kept going through my head and it was, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's a hymn, now I know that. But at the time, I didn't know that I was 14 
And I remember hearing that line in my head and thinking, no, it is not well with my soul. Why is this in my head? Like, what in the world? Who is putting this in here? I, I don't know where this song is coming from. I got angry. After that, those next few years um, in high school, I, I had depression. I, I had suicidal thoughts. I isolated myself from my family, from my friends. I lived in my room. And my junior year, the middle of my junior year of high school, my dad's job transferred us to Texas. At the time, I lived with my dad and stepmom now. And we moved to Texas, and I remember walking into our new house and just backing up against a wall and sinking to the floor, just lonely and broken. It was probably the lowest point of my life so far. I had experienced my whole childhood, the brokenness that was that, then losing my mom and sisters, then moving to a foreign place that is Texas, right? If you're from Iowa, it's very different than Iowa. And um, I just remember thinking, I have nothing left. My dad, um, about a month later, after living in my room and not coming out and um, talking to my grandpa a lot, who is a mentor of mine, my dad said, you're going to church. We found a church, we're gonna drop you off at youth group, you're going. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going. I'm not doing that, mm -mm. And he said, just throw on a sweatshirt, you're going. And I put on my Iowa Hawkeye sweatshirt, trying to be rebellious against Texas. And he dropped me off in front of the youth building at our, at our church at the time. And I remember standing outside of it, terrified, and just thinking, what do these people have to offer me? They don't know what I've been through. They're just, they're, they're fake. They act like everything's okay and everything's not really okay. What are they gonna do for me? And I remember walking in and there was a man across the room, six foot five man wearing a Nebraska Cornhusker sweatshirt. And he sees me and he yells across the room, Midwest is the best. And he comes right up to me and gives me a big hug. And he said, Abby, we're so glad you're here. And that was my youth pastor, Brian. And his wife, Sarah, uh, mentored me over the next year. And through them, I came to know who Jesus really is. They didn't expect anything of me. They just sat with me when I was sad. And they actually were the first people who ever listened to my full story. And when I told Sarah, um, she, I remember she turning, turning to me and saying, you realize this wasn't your fault, right? And that even if it was your fault, which it wasn't, God is gonna use this story for his glory. It has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. You're gonna be okay. That was the first time anyone had ever said anything like that to me. And I took that to heart. And through them, I came to know the Lord. I came back to Iowa for college because I'm a Hawkeye. I gotta go to, go to the University of Iowa. And I met my husband. Um, we got married and had five little boys. Um, but I still had that full weight of guilt Honestly, it didn't go away when I came to know Jesus. I still had the guilt that why, why didn't I, why wasn't I there? Why couldn't I have helped them? And especially after having children and knowing what it means to care for little children and having my sons reach the same ages as my sisters, that was very difficult for me. So um, in the summer of 2016, um, I went downstairs to my basement and I took out what I call the crash box. It's a box of um, mementos and um, newspaper articles from the accident. It's got everything in there. I call it like a Pandora's box. I open it up and 
I immediately just start sobbing every summer. I only do it once a year because I know that it's going to be hard to do. And it was June 19th, 2016. I went downstairs. I took it out. It's got balloons from the crash site. It's got newspaper clippings, which 1999, there wasn't a whole lot of internet going on in that respect. So um, newspaper articles and just different things from the accident. And I remember I sat down on the floor of my basement and I started reading the articles. And I've read these articles so many times before. This wasn't new to me. But three names popped out. And I've read these names before, but for some reason it felt like they were highlighted um, this time. And they were um, a man named Josh who was driving alongside my mom's car trying to get her to turn around or get the driver to turn around. My mom was in the passenger seat. Um, and he was unsuccessful. He pulled off to call someone, and when he pulled back on, he saw the accident. So he saw them right before they died and right after they died. Um, he was the, for one of the first people on the crash scene to see my sister's bodies and the bodies um, of those involved. And there was the widow of the man who died, or of the man who died in the other vehicle. My mom hit another car head on, and one man in the other car died. He was a young widow, 22 years old, or he. His widow was 21 years old. He was 22 years old, um, coming back from a fishing trip in Minnesota. And the sheriff, um, Steve, who investigated the accident. Um, these names kept popping up as I was reading, and it was at that moment I realized, I have the internet. I could probably find these people. I mean, it just dawned on me all of a sudden. So I went upstairs, my husband was out of town, and I got on Facebook, of all things, and started Googling, or looking on Facebook for their names. Um, and I found all of them within an hour. So in a moment of sheer insanity, though now I know it was God, I messaged them, thinking, we're not friends on Facebook. It's probably going to go to their spam folder. They'll never, ever see this. Um, but within a week, I heard back from all three. And all three said the same thing. We are so glad you reached out to us. We have been wondering about you. And through that, I started to talk to them. I got in touch with Carla, the widow. We talked for an hour on the phone. Um, she's an incredible woman, and she told me that um, they had only been married a year, but within three years later, she got married again, and her new husband's birthday is the day of the accident. So she said, a day we used to mourn, we now celebrate. Um, Steve, the sheriff, uh, called me and we talked for over an hour and he said that was the first traffic fatality I had ever investigated and he said that was before I had kids before I got married and it stuck with me my whole career he said I saved all the articles I saved everything there was about that because it was so devastating to me and he said after I had children I started to have flashbacks of your sisters and it really drove my career to try to help people and he sent me all the things that he had compiled in his attic from the accident. Um, Josh, the good, we call the Good Samaritan, who drove alongside the vehicle. Um, we couldn't find him. My family actually tried to find him for a while because we wanted to thank him for all that he had tried to do, but we couldn't find him. And so I realized when I found him this time around, he had gone into the military. Um, and last summer, I got to actually meet with him. He lives in Colorado. And we talked for over an hour. We got to hug. And he shared the whole story with me about how he had seen the car 
um, that he had pulled off because he didn't have a cell phone at the time, pulled back on and saw the bodies. And he said it impacted him so much. He was only 19 at the time that he dropped out of college and went into the military because he said, I wanted to help people. I didn't want to, death didn't scare me anymore. I just wanted to help people find life. And so that's why he went into the military and he came out of the military and he now has two little boys. And he said, I remember your sisters when I'm teaching my boys right and wrong. And I just feel like I'm really trying to take what I could have helped them do and pour it into my kids. And so all three of these stories are intertwined in a form of redemption. We all have, we're all connected by this one date in some way, and it's impacted us all in a huge way, but for the good. Um, so, uh, I've taken, I took a public speaking class last fall, and um, it was really impactful for me. It was, it was a Christian public speaking event, and my teacher told me, um, she said, be aware of the mustard seeds in your life. Um, and if you're unfamiliar with the term mustard seed, I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of you who have read the New Testament know what that means, but in Matthew 17, 20, it says, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, nothing will be impossible for you. And so what she was saying was, God plants mustard seeds at different moments in your life. And you may not know what that is going to grow to be, but he is planting them all the time. And she said, she challenged us, think about the mustard seeds in your life. What are those things that you look back and maybe you didn't even know they were planted at the time, but now you realize they were significant and a turning of your life. And I, so I had to think about that for a while and... Then I realized a really big one, and I've shared this story before, so Carrie might have heard it, but um, I, when I was in, I didn't share a lot about my childhood growing up with my mom, but um, I remember in sixth grade, uh, at, the point, at that point I was living with my mom and stepfather, and it was probably the lowest point of living with them. My mom was high on cocaine all of the time. She was not home very much. Um, when she was home, she was bruised and bloodied. We didn't know where she had been. Um, she would be missing for days. Um, and at this one particular week, she had been gone three or four days and, and we didn't know where she was. And I remember as a sixth grader laying in my bed one night, hoping that she would come home, fearful of where she was. And I remember hearing the door open and um, I heard a scuffle and I heard my stepdad yelling and I heard glass shatter and I remember putting the pillow over my head and at the time I didn't know God, I wasn't, had no idea um, anything about God but I started to pray and I remember very distinctly praying for three things and I prayed for, um, to be free from fear, fear that she would die because that lived, I lived every day scared of what would happen to her. My second thing was to have joy again, to be happy. I feel like, uh, or I felt like my whole childhood, I lived with just sorrow and one sorrow after another. And so I prayed for joy. And the third thing I prayed for, I said, Lord, can I just really have a window seat in my room? That would be really great. Like, so free from fear, joy, and a window seat. Like, you know, three completely different things. Um, and I told you guys that the lowest point of probably my life was when I moved to Texas. And I distinctly remember going into the house and sinking down, like I had mentioned. But I also remember my dad saying, my earthly father, 
saying, hey, Abby, we picked out your bedroom before you got here. I hadn't seen the house yet. Just go back there, settle in. Um, and so I followed my earthly father's voice to my bedroom, and I opened the door, and there in the back wall was a big bay window and a window seat. This was years after that prayer. But it was at that moment I realized that I didn't have fear anymore that my mom would die. It had happened. Did God answer that the way I wanted it to or the way that I thought it should be answered? No, but he did answer it. I didn't have joy yet, but I would, and I do now. That was answered much later. And then the third one was answered exactly how I wanted it to be answered, which was awesome. And a couple months later, after that, I came to know Jesus in Texas, and I used that window seat to read my Bible faithfully every single night. So God provided the place where I would read his word. And I think that's pretty powerful. Um, so I just want to, when you're in the midst of your wilderness, remember him. If you can't see a mustard seed growing, have faith that God is growing something in you. Um, and I have this great quote that I love by Barbara Brown Taylor, and it, she says, new life starts in the dark. Whether it's a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, new life starts in the dark. Um, I want to commission you all as Moses did in his words in Deuteronomy 3.22. He says, do not fear what is before you, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Friends, you are not fighting alone, and you will not fight alone if you are going through something. He is so near you. Um, in the very next chapter, Moses urges us to seek the Lord and you will find him if you search for him with all of your heart and all of your soul. When you look, when you walk through trials, return to the Lord and obey his voice for the Lord your God is merciful. He will not leave you or destroy you. And because we know the end of the story later, after the Israelites cross over into the promised land, Joshua, an another man that leads them into the promised land, he says, not one of all the good promises that the Lord has made the house of Israel has failed. All came to pass. All of his good promises came to pass. So I just want to encourage you that God does love you. He is with you. He has a plan and a purpose for you for every detail of your life. Um, be on the lookout for the mustard seeds because they're there and they're growing. And he grows life in the darkest places, the deepest, darkest places. And it may not look the way you thought it would. It may take longer than you thought it would. Or you may never see that promise fulfilled on this side of eternity. You may not. But you will see his full plan if you know him and you enter his kingdom someday. You will see why everything happened the way that it did. Because we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him. Every single one. Thank you.